90s footy fans, welcome to episode 76 of the 90s Club Footy Podcast. This week we caught up with former Essendon, St Kilda and Sydney forward, Craig O'Brien. Craig, who was recruited from the Mornington Peninsula, first started his AFL journey with the Essendon Football Club in 1989. He played with the Bombers for three seasons, accumulating 21 games. The next part of his journey was at St Kilda, where he spent four seasons playing 52 games and kicking 116 goals. His next move was with the Sydney Swans, playing in the Harbour City for five years, which included playing in the 1996 AFL Grand Final. In this episode, Craig talks about playing alongside all four Danaher brothers, leaving the Bombers for more opportunity, sharing the forward line with the great Tony Lockett, the Swans' tight final series in 1996, and the Grand Final defeat. I hope you enjoy the 76th member of the 90s Club Footy Podcast, Craig O'Brien. Craig O'Brien, thank you for joining me on the 90s Club Footy Podcast. Really appreciate your time and looking forward to reminiscing with you, mate. Looking forward to a chat from old times, the good old 90s. Great footy days. And I know you uh, obviously had some affiliation with three AFL clubs. I look forward to talking about those. But before we talk all things footy, mate, what are you doing with yourself these days, I guess, in occupation-wise? And do you still have any footy involvement? Yeah, look, um, I live on the Gold Coast now. I live between um, the Gold Coast and Yapoon. So I did coach on the Gold Coast for a while, and then I uh, moved up to Yapoon, coached up there, and I came back three years ago. I'm coaching Broadbeach in the Quaffle now, which is State League up here. So that's where my coaching journey's been. I've pretty much coached since I finished playing footy, to be honest. And a good stand of footy too in the Quaffle uh, Broadbeach. Been a very successful club. Yeah, look, we've. I came back um, three years ago and we hadn't won a flag in 25 years. We always threatened to be successful. I did coach them back in the early 2000s. Um, where we played in three finals. But um, coming back this time, the club was different. And we actually got the monkey off our back in 2021. We won the grand final. We lost the 2020 grand final. Um, we were undefeated, but that was a COVID year. So we only played nine games. And uh, it was really good footy because we had a lot of the needful players that came back to Quaffle. So it was a pretty high standard. And the standard pretty much stayed that way. And then last year, we went through the season undefeated and lost the granny, as it always happens. Uh, um, we got look, we got beat by a side that have been in the VFL in Astley. So they were just uh, we're we're always a club that's um, developing young kids, and we we always seem to get the kids drafted here and there. But Astley were just big bodies, and they kind of beat us up on a small ground. So and we're back in it again. So we're we're up there again. Jacob Townsend plays for us. We had Jared Harbour last year. There's a few ex-AFL players running around the comp, which makes it a bit stronger. And who's uh, a couple of kids that we've seen drafted in previous years that sort of started their footy with Broadbeach that you had some time with to coach? Alex Davies, who's playing for the Suns at the moment, he's just starting to find his feet a little bit. Uh, so we had him. We had the little Fijian guy, Ace, who's running around for the Suns at the moment. Uh, Bodie Yulon got drafted from us last year. And we've got a couple of rippers coming through. Jake Rogers at the moment, who, who we think he'll go top 10. 
um, which is he's had a ripping, ripping um, under-18 series at the moment. So he's right up there. And then we've got another kid coming through called Leo Lombard who you know, has got draft written all over him. So we are, we're, we're pretty much a destination club. We've got very strong juniors. We've got very strong um, development team coming through. Nick Melcheski's um, one of my assistants there who does a fantastic job with the young kids coming through. So we are a destination club. We'll just keep on getting stronger. We've had a new change rooms. We've got a great ground, good spot. So, um, but there's some really good kids coming through, which is good for, look, in, in Melbourne, there's probably 30 of these kids, but when you see the good ones up here, they're really, really good. Uh, but then they do drop off, obviously, because they're not born and bred like they are in Melbourne. But mm. I said, we've got a really good network of good kids coming through at the moment through all of Queensland, not just uh, for the Gold Coast. A lot of people wouldn't realise that you started your AFL career with the Essendon Football Club. How'd you make your way to the Bombers, mate? Well, I was living back in the Mornington Peninsula those days and it was um, it was back to the zoning stages there. Like, I think the Mornington Peninsula was, it wasn't killed at some stage and it ended up being an estimate at the time. Um, we used to actually get a taxi to footy training from the Mornington Peninsula. <laughs> we used to pick up Brendan Moore on the way through. It used to be a long night for us, but... Um, yeah, then we eventually moved up to Melbourne. My old man bought a pub. So he's always been in pubs. We had one in Spencer Street. So I ended up at um, at the Bombers playing under 19 at the Bombers. And then that was um, a real experience playing under Kevin Chudy and those guys. It would have been. You played, I think you played two games in your first season, then eight, and then 11 in the respective seasons after that. I always remembered you as a, a forward, I guess, with, you know, say Kilda and, and Sydney. but did you always play there at the Bombers or did you have sort of multiple roles at, at the Essendon Footy Club? I was at the – when Essendon were going through a transition stage, I had all of these South Australians and Western Australians came over, like you had Antrobus, Anderson, you know, all those – Spawn, all those guys. So we kind of – the local guys got pushed to the back burner a little bit, so we, our opportunities were limited. Um, but what I did is I, I went up there as a midfielder and ended up, you know, because I couldn't get a game – I ended up playing as a small forward and I kind of made a niche for myself as a small forward throughout my AFL career and the last couple of years I ended up playing as a halfback back pocket for this one. So I think, you know, the way it is now, you just can't pigeonhole yourselves in. But I was, you know, I, I was always going to struggle getting a game. You know, there were Darren Buicks and and a lot of really good midfielders came out of Western, so I had to find another spot for me and the forward line seemed to be the one. That last round of the 1990 season, you played in a match alongside the four Danahers, and that's the only time it's ever happened. That must be something you fondly look back on. Oh, oh look, it is. And look, they were a ripping family. You know, they were the heart and soul of the Essendon Footy Club, obviously. And, and when you look on Facebook these days, you see the the old stats come up, you know, the, the, the sides at play. And I was looking at one the other day, and Neil Danaher kicked two goals, and I kicked one, and, and things like that. So it's good that you look back now and, and see how big an achievement it really was having four brothers played in the one team. But I actually worked with the Danahers for a while, so I was cleaning windows with them, <laughs> and that was an experience in itself. But, I mean, yeah, there are things to look back on. I don't think you'll see that happen again now, like those a lot of the old things that, that did happen. The, the footy's definitely changed a lot, but being part of that was pretty special. And look, one of the greatest things about Neil Danaher, um, I know, you know, he's been one of the greatest advocates for, you know, the, you know, what do you call them? MND. So we had a guy up in, um, sorry, one of our trainers up in Yapoon who had MND and 
I rang Neil Danner or text him and said, look, mate, I've got a friend who's struggling a bit, <clears throat> and he actually texts the next day. And all the stuff that he's got going on, for him to do something like that, that just says how special the guy, the guy really is. Yeah, absolute superstar. Hey, mate, after that match yeah. where you played with the, the Danaher boys, it was the last round of the season. Did you feel like you, you'd done enough to play finals for the Bombers that season? I know it was a really competitive lineup, and they obviously went on to play in the grand final against the Pies. Did you feel like you'd done enough? Yeah, look, I, I probably got a couple of games. I mean, I think that's what makes it hard when you, you think you're always good enough, but I knew that we had a pretty good side and just getting two games in that, in that season, it brings you back. Like, it, it, you know, where you've got to be at, just gives you the hunger back. And, you know, I always know that, you know, when you're, when Essendon's been a very strong club, you've got to earn your spot and you, and you always got to look at where you are in the pecking order. I obviously was, was in their best side. So I wasn't too concerned because I knew I was still young. I had plenty of opportunity to come through. So it just makes you go back and work a bit harder in your pre-season and see where you've got to be at. And, and then, you know, once again, you know, it was always tough getting into a very good side and, and staying in there is the hardest thing as well. Rowan Wolf comes on and they're fiddling around. Nathan Burke gives it across to O'Brien. They lost that fiddle while Ryan Byrne and Craig O'Brien runs in and kicks his second goal and the Saints go further in front. Well, that's silly fiddly football by Fitzroy down there. At the end of the 1991 season, mate, you were traded to St Kilda. How did you feel about that and were you happy to go to the Saints? Look, I just wanted opportunity. I think when you, because I spent all my under nineteens at Essendon, um, you know, I was, you know, you do you do so much in the second, you get your best week in week out, and then you probably lose a bit of interest if you're not getting games. And um, and as I said early in the early in the podcast, it was always hard when you got guys like South Australians and all those guys that they get over here, they will play them ahead of you. So I got very frustrated, and I, and I wanted to get out, and I think it was. One of the end of season um, functions that we had, and I had a few too much to drink, and I had a dead set crack of cheese. So I kind of, I wrote my own ticket out. Um, and then I went down to St Kilda, who they, you know, they gave me an opportunity, but I didn't have much luck there the first year. I got suspended for 10 weeks. So I didn't go down there and set the world on fire. And then I think late in the season, I was trained with Frank Roper, so I got myself really fit, and I came back and played five games. And I, I played really well in those five games. It probably saved me from. Uh, just being a good country footballer in the end. And was that sort of a wake-up call, mate, to you to say, listen, I know I can play, but I need to really work hard and smart up a little bit because the next three years, you're, you're a regular staple in that forward line. I think you kicked 30-plus goals in each of those seasons in the, the Saints lineup. Yeah, look, I think the – I keep – you're right. You do pull your head in and you mature a bit as well. Like, you know, I was talking about 22, 23 then and – Things change, you know, your mental part of it. And then, I, as I said, what changed me is when I started training with Frank Rogers, the Australian champion boxer, he kind of put things into perspective. And I came back completely, lost a fair bit of aggression because I was a bit, bit of a hot-headed sort of a kid. And then then just trained and got hard and got fit and then got me opportunity. And I think, um, you know, I kicked 30-odd goals one year and then the season after I kicked 57. When you look back now, you know, it wasn't, wasn't a bad achievement kicking 50-odd goals. What a side that I think we finished about ninth or tenth. But having said that, look, I played next door to Tony Lockett, who um, he was away a lot of that that season. So I kind of had more opportunities to <laughs> to have a crack. But um, but look, it, it secured a really good club. And I, and what was probably the most disappointing thing about not staying at St Kilda, I never wanted to leave St Kilda, but 
I also ran into a um, salary cap issues with they just signed Harvey, Lowe, Winmar and Burke and, you know, they pretty much came to me and said, look, we can only offer you a two-year contract and this sort of money. And, you know, I was at that period where I thought, you know, I deserved a three-year contract and a bit more money. Yeah. And then Sydney came over the top and said, look, we can pick you up as an unrestricted player. Um, we can just take you anyway. And then when I spoke to Sydney, it was a great opportunity. It was a, a three-year contract, twice as much money. Um, and it was an opportunity I couldn't really knock back. And I thought oh, I ought to be there for three years. And then uh, one thing led to another. I signed for another two years up there. So I ended up playing five years with Sydney. But never had that intention at all. Just that's how it panned out. But I suppose having a, you know three years with Tony Lockwood become very good friends. When he moved to Sydney, he kind of talked me into going up there. And, you know, it was a great move long term. And, you know, I was really happy with what we did up there. I'm really interested in what it was like to play alongside the great Tony Lockett. Obviously, you're both in the forward line. No doubt midfielders would always look for plugger. You know, Harvey Burke, when they're coming inside forward 50, you know, plugger would be the one. And I guess, you know, during the 90s, there were so many great forwards and they were always the, the focal points for the midfielders coming in. Did that play into your advantage to sort of be, you know, that second forward and maybe getting a, a lesser defender to try and restrict your influence? Or was it harder to try and get into the game, you know, knowing that the midfielders were always looking for the big man wearing the number four? Well, look, he was a, a very imposing player and a great player to play next to him. Because we had an off-field relationship, I pretty much learned pretty quickly. I mean, we were playing an intra-club practice game at Moravan. There was this guy that came out from Perth called Ian Dargy, and um, he was a solid sort of a player. Anyway, we, we played into a club, and only one forward pocket. Tony's a full forward. This Dargy sagged off his man and got in front of Plug and Plug and said, "Mate, I wouldn't do that again if I was you." So next contest, Plugger comes out, and he puts Dargy into the Jordan frame, and he carried him off the ground. It's a practice <laughs> game. Stand out and goes, "Tony, what are you doing?" He goes, "Well, I pre-warned him." So I thought, right, oh, well, I'm not going to get in front of you. I'm going to get behind him. But then we kind of had a good relationship. And there's a period there of a couple of years. Tony had a lazy right eye. So I'd always lead to the right. He leads to the left. And that way we had a good relationship. And I used to get a lot of ball coming in behind him because because he attracted crowd, there was always space behind him. Yeah. And when he was when he was on and he wasn't dropping anything, you kind of was slim pickings for him because <laughs> You, you know, you'd, and I'd worked, you know, I was more of a crumbing forward than a marking forward. So, um, and then it came back to matchups, you know, Plug would know if I'm having a good period, he'd let me be the, the key. So we had that really good relationship. But as a player to play next to, just none better. He's the best I've ever seen. I think a lot of people don't realise he kicked a lot of his goals when Secure weren't a strong club, too. So I think if you look back to now, how good he really was, I mean, Buddy was going to be close, but no one will ever break his record. Ah, he's an absolute superstar. Like, and, and the way yeah, the game's um, played now, like we just don't have those forwards are going to kick those hundred goals. Even even eighty goals is going to be, you know, a fair way off for a lot these days because there's so much shared responsibility in the forward line. I guess compared to what it was like yeah. in the nineties. Well, we never got outside fifty. <laughs> you know, you see four pockets having tackles and the other forward into the ground. You know, like, yeah, the work rate's completely different now. Look, it's a great game now, but back then, when you look back at old videos and, and look, and I was very lucky to play in an area where we had, you know, Lockett, Dunstall, Ablett, you know, these sorts of guys, probably three of the best forwards ever to play the game. And to play at the other end with them, seeing them in good form, it's just something to look back now and go, well, 
you guys don't realise what you're missing not having those guys on the footy field with you. We played a game down at Geelong one day. I'll never forget this anyway where we had a really good game and I had a good game. I'd, I'd kick seven, I think, till 20-minute um, mark the last quarter and I kicked the ball, hit the post, the top of the post. It would have won us a game. By three-quarter time, um, James Shannon was playing on Gary Ablett. Gary Ablett had two goals and Ablett's kicked five the last goals of the game. They got up by two points at Geelong. And we walk off the ground. We were shattered. You know, we weren't a good side. And Stan Owls walked and he goes, boys, I don't know what you're saying about it. He goes, you just seen one of the greatest performances ever <laughs> by a full forward. And I oh, right. So you look back like that and you laugh. But, you know, and that's what they used to do, those players. You know, they, they could just turn it on and, and it'd be done. And, I mean, I played in practice so much and Tony locked it up at Griffith and he, he had 11 goals till half time. Anyway, um, we run back out in the ground. There's no plugger. Anyway, Stan Al, we get the Stan Al goes, where's plugger? He'd done enough. He had a shower and gone home. So, but he didn't tell the coaches. So, you know, that's, that was back then. And, you know, that was um, that was a pair of those sorts of players. And you see how good Dunster was. So but you just don't see that anymore. And, and that's what a lot of people miss out on, how good they really were. And I guess you look at current day forward as well. Like I, I'm a Geelong supporter and I remember that game where you kicked seven, I actually went through me, one of my old footy records and I knew I'd been to that game when I was looking at your stats online the other night. But I look at Tommy Hawkins, you know, Hawkins is someone who kicks goals, but also a lot of goal assists. And that was probably not what we saw a lot in the 90s as well. We wouldn't see Plugger or Ablett or Dunstall handing off. If they had a shot within 50 or just outside 50, they're having a shot. Yeah. Well, I mean, you look at, and Hawkins is probably going to be the last of that sort of player, I reckon. Like, He's kind of reinvented himself over the last three or four years. Mm. Um, you know, one-on-one, I, I think it's helped, those new rules have helped guys like Hawkins. You know, like you can't chop your arms and the six-on-six six really helps those sorts yep. of guys. And we need to have that because you, Hawkins has been such a good player. But what he's so good at, he's a role player now. Like he's more, he's happy to have his two his two goals and four assists. And I think that's why Geelong, not just Hawkins, but they're a very unselfish side, probably to a point where they can be too unselfish yeah. and brings everyone into the game. And that's why they're such a good team. And I think last year's grand final, you know, showed that, that you know, it doesn't matter how old or young you are, if you've got that team spirit and you're not going to get beat. At the one of the road end, throws the ball back into play. And the low doing the ruck work against O'Reilly. Out towards Burke. Burke gathers the ball. Hooks it onto his left boot. Down here towards Everett. He gives a handball over to O'Brien. Ah, oh, they're walking away. Oh. The side. There's another one. Gee, there's no pressure from Geelong whatsoever. Absolutely no pressure in defence. I look back at the Saints side when you were playing, Craig, and gee, a talented lineup. You know, some great names. Lockett, Lowe, Frawley, Burke, Harvey, Shanahan you know, et cetera, et cetera. Everett was in there as well. Are you surprised yeah. you guys didn't play more finals during that period? Like, was it what was it that just did make you guys all that successful? Because you were such a I good – I don't know. On paper, on paper, you had such a great lineup. Well, I think, it, look, maybe coaching had a bit to do with it. I think we had, we had um, Kenny Sheldon there for a while, um, who was good, but I think what it was, that the, the players you mentioned had too much con- – control over what was happening and to a point where they kind of did what they wanted to do um, and without listening to all the coaches because they were so strong. But I also thought there wasn't a lot of development through that period as well, you know, like where, where you look at the, the your, good, your good core leaders now, develop the kids coming through. Like I reckon looking at Charlie Dixon, 
how good he is for Port Adelaide. And when you talk to, when I talk to Adrian Dodoro, a bit of Essendon, like they just rate him that highly because of what he does. Yeah. I don't know if we had the, the sort, sorts of players that had that sort of leadership qualities back then. If you look at the good leaders in the game now, yeah, they're genuine superstars. The way they lead, like Pendlebury, you know, the, the the work he's done doing with the Dacos boys and all that, I think that's what makes you you get to that next level. And because really, our halves is a superstar player and it's such a high work work ethic. But we had five or six really good players, but maybe the back end wasn't strong enough for us to be finals, or we didn't have that gel to play as a team. Uh, where you look at us and you look at the modern day team now, like I mean, I watched Collingwood on the weekend, how good they really are. But when you see them actually live, the the the, the team spirit they have is it's it's infectious. Your timing to the Sydney Swans was a good one, mate. Obviously, that endured some really tough seasons, but the season that you joined them, that was probably the starting point of where they really had that success starting. Yeah, look, it was, and when you look back now, you know, like '96. Uh, they they were meant to make the finals in '95, um, but didn't happen. And then you know, I think myself, Stewie Maxfield, Kevin Dyson uh, went up to Sydney then. And then there was you know the, the O'Loughlins and these young young guys coming through. Um, I think it really typified the team culture. And then what 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 makes it when you're playing at state is you spend a lot of time together. Like you spend you travel a lot, and you, know, you get a bond together with your mates. And when you come when we come up from Sydney. Because we're all so new, we were our only mates for our footy mates, and we played um, Adelaide in Adelaide. Um, got done by about a hundred, and I think it might have been round one of '96. And then we came back and lost to Fremantle. And there was only seven thousand people there, CG, and we got booed off. I think we were zipping two. Um, and then to see the last game of the season when we played against Geelong, there were forty-four thousand in the house. And then there was seven or 8,000 people in the footy stadium next door on the big screen that couldn't get in. So I think that was a time that really helped Sydney. And also that was a Super League war time where the NRL and the Super League had that yes. war. So I think a lot of people just said, right, we're going to follow, follow AFL. And I think that from that point, um, that was a great turning point for Sydney. And then people thought, well, this is our club now. It's not the, the Edelston fairy tale. It's actually Sydney team. And people jumped on board and and then, you know, looking from then on, what they've done now behind that with the Sons of, uh, the Swans Academy and all these things, they're always going to be up there now. They're a very, very powerful football club. Did you feel like when you went there that they were capable of playing a grand, being a grand final side? Like you speak about Maxie and, and Kevin Dyson um, joining, you know, the likes of Ruse and and Lockett and O'Loughlin coming through and all these young stars. Wade Chapman was another one that was sort of coming through and so forth as well. Did you feel like yeah. there was um, you know, some real upside to the list when you joined them? I think when we when we played Carlton at Carlton and they hadn't been beat there for, I think it was 21 games. And, you know, there's always a game you have in your season where you get that belief and Carlton were going really well and we, we walked off that that ground winning, and we actually said in the change rooms, we're a chance here. Now we got we got some really good belief. That was a really good test for us. And then once you get that belief, you, you play the game a bit differently than when you haven't got that belief. And also opposition treat you differently. But when they start to respect you as a team, they play you differently. They don't sag off you. They they play you tighter. So 
You can play sides more on your terms than on their terms. And we started to believe that. And then, you know, we had some really good wins at home and then all of a sudden we're getting big crowds in there. And we actually thought, I remember saying this to Plague, I said, mate, I think we're a chance here. And he kind of he kind of just smiled at me like he doesn't say much, bugger. And we just we just really had that belief that you know players to come out, players that come in. We had a really good culture. Our, our girls were very close. Like we'd go down and play in Melbourne. Our, our wives and girlfriends would all stick together, and watch the games, and go out for dinner and that. So it took a lot of heat off us to when you move your girlfriend, you know, your wife into Sydney. Mm. That like every minute they want to spend because they don't know anyone. We actually found that the girls didn't want a bar of us most of the time. <laughs> but what it, it really brought us closer together. I think then then you get that, once you get those senior guys of that culture, it stays. And we kind of, when you look back now, that culture has stayed. And then I think it went through a period there. Where I think Rodney Ede, he was so good in his first year as coach. Like he was so fun, happy. And, you know, he used to sit down and say, look, if we win by a point, let's celebrate every win and let's celebrate the small moments, which we did in uh, 96. Uh, I lost a grand final, obviously, but then the small things weren't enough for Rocket. He kind of went away from um, making us what we were, as in, you know, like we'd win by five goals and hey, we should have won by 10. Yep. And all of a sudden our win just wasn't enough for him. I think there was a game there, I think it was 97, uh, we travelled. We didn't have any grounds available, so we played four practice games in New South Wales. Travel, big day travels, you know, not just you can't just fly there, you've got to fly somewhere and drive. And then we played the first three or four games away from the SCG. Um, and then we came back and we were, I think we were three and one or four and one, and we played the Western Bulldogs. And we're 40 points up after the third quarter and we won by seven points. And you could just see that this was a Friday night game and we were fatigued, you know, like we we had a big month. We'd been away, you know. We travelled every week, and then we're sitting in the change room after Rosie goes, "Hey, how good's this?" You know, we've got, a, we've got. A, I think we had a mind out of buy or whatever. He started singing the song, and Rodney Ed comes in and tore shreds off everyone. Then we had, yeah, Carol Ognitti. We're on top of the ladder. We had to run the grandstands the next morning. <laughs> That's where Paul Roo said he's fucking lost the plot. Sorry, but he's lost <laughs> the plot. And and it kind of did um, to a point where I think it might have been in 90, 97 or 98, I'm not too sure when it was, that we actually, Geelong played, Geelong would have finished eighth and they played third. Remember that old system we used to have? Yes. And we we, we needed the, the better side to win for us to stay in the finals. So we're, we're at um, have a few beers in Sydney watching the game and we just looked around going, we hope that we don't get through. And that's not a great culture to have because we we just didn't feel like we were good enough and we lost that kind of edge. And then and then it wasn't until I think um, that Rusey came back that they culture came back and and I was lucky enough to when Rusey came back to coach with him for ten weeks and well, I think we missed a game finals by a game, but I already made the decision to move to Queensland. But the the place was alive. He kind of put that vibe back in and and there was a to a point there where he had Adam Goods who was a young Aboriginal kid that we used to call him the X Factor in the when he played in the seconds because he had that X Factor. Anyway, was one game there we'll never forget. We played Carp out at um, Homebush. Anyway, Goodsy made a mistake and run straight to the bench. And Rusey goes, "What are you doing?" He goes, "Oh, I'm just so used to coming off making mistakes." So 
Then he gave the confidence in Adam Goods that, hey, I don't care if you make mistakes. And then he just came on and I think he got three brown low votes that day. So that's the coach that Ruzi put back into him. It wasn't about making a mistake. It's about getting better. Yep. And he drove high standards and they jumped on the wagon and they, they win their flags. Yeah, what a coach he was too. Unbelievable. Great fella yeah. as well. Great fella, Paul Ruzi. Yeah. Hey. Well, I used to share. We'd see, when we used to travel, I used to share because it went in the alphabet, O'Brien Ruse. So I used to share with him. So, you know, and look, he was 60 the other day. So, but great. But see, he and he kind of had a lot to do with it as a player. He went away and then came back. And he came back with a really good – he went overseas and, and got involved a lot of American footy, spoke to a lot of really professional people. And when he came back, it was just a completely different vibe. And, and as I said, mate, they, they played for him. They played for each other. And he's the, he was the, the start of what Sydney is now. Rocker is there. Salmon is there. And he picks it out of the air, the big man, and he does well. Platten finishes with it, but then loses it to O'Brien. O'Brien is clear as he swings around and he goes. I want to go back just to grand final week, what it was like to be involved in the lead-up, but obviously the game itself. And despite the results, still would have been a pretty special moment to be involved in, mate. Look, it was amazing. Um, amazing to the point where it was probably too amazing that what we did the week leading up to the grand final was probably too much because um, we'd made it, you know, Sydney's in the grand final. We had something on every night, you know, like we had Monday night, we had this, we had this on Tuesday night. We were all on radio stations. We had this on Thursday nights. We had dinners with this. Then we had to fly down to Melbourne. Then we had the grand final parade. And we, we was we were, <laughs> that, was a, that was a day after, or the week after Plugger kicked that point. So that was an emotional week anyway. And then, we got to the Saturday and we, we, we just had a big week leading into a grand final because we played the Kangaroos and the Kangaroos didn't do anything. All I did was a grand final parade. That was it. So they had learned from that. But because we're a, a new kid on the block, so to speak, yeah, um, had a really big week up to it. In hindsight, you'd never do what we did again because you just didn't have any downtime from the point that Bucket kicked to the grand final. It just seemed to... There was always something on. There was no time to reflect or think about opposition. We just, hey, you're going to be here at this time. Hey, you're going to be here. We're doing school clinics. And then we had the biggest day of our lives coming up. And I think we spent all our, our nervous energy and energy from Monday to Friday. I want to give you a couple of quick handball ones to finish off the podcast, Craig. I really love the chat, mate. I'm going to give you three ex-teammates' names, one from Essendon, one from St Kilda, one from Sydney. I'd love you just to give yeah. me a short little phrase to describe your interactions and the type of uh, teammate they were. So I'm going to start with Essendon first, an absolute legend, Simon Madden. Oh, so, Gareth John. <laughs> can I tell you a bit about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, okay. playing, I was playing in the midfield. Lovely guy, ripper, right? I was playing in the midfield. Anyway, um, Gareth John jumped over him. Anyway, he goes, watch this. He goes, he won't get near this one. That's when he put his knee in his throat and finished him off. And I'm oh, just thinking, no. oh, does, this really, does this really happen? Absolute legend. Um, fantastic role model. I'm going to go another Ruckman, this time St Kilda, Lazar Vidovic. Lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> I still keep in touch with him. Oh, I love it. I've heard a great story. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, I reckon Jack Daniels told me that he used to be a bit of a jokester, and I reckon uh, when Els was coaching, instead of looking at the game review, he might have put a, a, a different sort of video on 
and made the boys laugh. I'm not sure whether that was during your time or not. Yes, very, very good at doing that he was. <laughs> he actually, him and I started the players' room. You know, we had like, because we were, because of Moorabbin, uh, we trained there, they weren't playing footy. There used to be a bar there. So, yeah. we, you know, we had nowhere to go after we trained. So we set up a bar, we set, we set up a, um, a players' room. We've got a couch in there, the TV and all that. It was good. Yeah, we had the bar there. Anyway, we had a video night. I'm not going to tell you it was on. It was absolutely <laughs> disgusting when he was showing them. Anyway, that, that, was, that was bizarre. Anyway. And the Sydney Swans, I'm going to go Brad Seymour. Love Seymour. He was a great guy, snapper. Yeah. I think, look, he was, he was probably one of the uh, true New South Welshmen, so to speak, like a Wagga, kid from Wagga. Um, Got become a very good player, very good leader. Um, I think the him and four or five others like McPherson's and that is what made us a good club and, and made us have that Sydney feel. Who was your hardest opponent, mate, over your journey? Oh, look, the hardest guy I ever played on was Duncan Calloway. I played on him. And Ross Smith was always hard. Duncan Calloway. I couldn't get a kick on him one day, and I said to David Trump, I can't, I just can't get a kick on him. I don't know what I've done wrong. Anyway, so I thought I'm going to belt him. <laughs> I belted him one day, right? And he he went off and come back with Clara, you know, the nose all taped. I thought, oh, he's going to whack me here. And he didn't say a word. He just put his arm on me and I'm thinking, oh, I can't win. The other was Ross Smith. Ross Smith was a good player. Um, but I, he was like, because I could, you know, from a size, I could take an overhead mark, okay? He was the same sort of build as me, same sort of height. But Damien Drum sent me some footage of him um, when he started getting beat. But when you got him up the ground and lose him, I used to get a lot of goals running away from you know the centre square and that. So I started having his number, and then I started getting picked up by Archer. So I, started, I should have stayed with Ross Smith. <laughs> but yeah, but he was he was a super tough opponent. Both hey, of those guys. Who is the best character, the boy, the, the fella that you enjoyed having a beer with and a bit of banter and you know, maybe a little bit of off-field, uh, you know, frivolities and so forth? Who was the bloke that stands out the most? Uh, Ryan Fitzgerald was the best. Him and Adam Huskis, they were the best. And there was there was, there was, there was uh, Mickey O'Loughlin, Stephen Carey, Adam Huskis and Ryan Fitzgerald, and they were the funniest guys you'll ever meet in your life. And before a game of footy, they were clowns. And... When they weren't clowns, they couldn't get a kick. So Rodney Eade said, I want you blokes mucking around like you're getting a rub, that squeeze your oil up your backside, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Not great, but just they, they were the, the heartbeat of a team, put it that way, and they, they were great characters. When you go out, you just see them, they'd be laughing, carrying on, but just just genuine blokes. Craig O'Brien, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the 90s Club Footy Podcast, mate. Really appreciate you sharing some time. Uh, thanks. Pleasure. Enjoy. O'Brien, who uh, kicked over 50 goals a couple of seasons ago for the Saints, now playing against his old team. He's kicked it beautifully for a goal. He's becoming important, isn't he, O'Brien, as this season goes on. Six against Hawthorne, six against Carlton, and he's got the first today against his old club. That's the end of episode number 76. If you've missed any previous episodes, you can catch them all on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music. We're on all the social media platforms, so drop us a line on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter on any particular episode you've enjoyed or a guest you would love to hear. Next week, our guest is former Sydney Swan player, Neil Brunton. 
It's tough. It's rugged. It's good, solid AFL football.